Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. David Nagel here with Steph Tuss. Hey. How you doing? Good. What are we talking about today? What's on the topic list? We're talking about conflict. That is a good topic, conflict. Um, I don't think many people would agree with you, but yes, it is a good topic. Well, it's it's a, a good yeah, topic. From, from, a, from a thinking perspective, it's interesting. When you're, when you're dealing with it, it definitely is a problem. Like we've, we have noticed and learned over the years just how much people avoid conflict. Yeah. Hundred percent. Most people avoid conflict. Is it most? It's most people. Why do you um, think that is? I think it all goes back to your childhood. Okay. Right well, now here. you just opened up the Pandora's I, I, box I, door. We were right there at the surface. Doesn't everything? Go and back now to we're in the dive. Yeah. No. I. I. I think you know. In terms of the topic of this podcast, we really wanted to talk about the role that conflict plays. In, yeah. Why it's in important. Organization and why it's so important, and especially in terms. Of if you're a leader or a founder of your organization, what happens if you're conflict conflict averse or conflict avoidant? Because it could it could really bring your business to its knees. Yeah. Um, so first, I think we need to talk about what conflict actually means in the in the in the aspect of business. Okay. Like, what do we mean by conflict in business? Because you know, people think in pictures, right? So when they hear the word conflict, they have their own picture that pops into their mind of what that looks like. It's probably their mom and dad fighting over something. <laughs> yeah, your mom and dad fighting over something. It feels dangerous. You know, you think yeah. of like a bar fight or you think of you think of like a physical alteration. Yeah. You think of a winner and a loser. Being unsafe. You think of being unsafe. Um, you think of being made wrong, um, which are all painful things, right? Right. Especially when you're when you're a younger person right. or, or as a child, it's not something somebody wants to voluntarily participate in. Right, and if you're a young child and you're you're outwardly looking for conflict, then that's a dysfunction as well. Right. right. So, it's like how can conflict? How does conflict show up positively within a business, within an organization? And in in terms of this, you know, conflict really shows up in two ways. Conflict shows up in. Um, Holding people accountable, right? A lot of people yeah. avoid what they would what they would call a difficult conversation, right? Because they're avoiding conflict. They're worried about what the repercussions are going to be if they hold someone accountable, and it shows up in debate, right? So yes. It's it's interesting. You and I both love the book by Ray Dalio, mm-hmm. Principles, right? And Fantastic the key, book. The key tenant in that book is all about meritocracy. Meritocracy. And meritocracy is that the best idea wins, yeah. not the most important person in the room wins. The best idea wins, right. but you don't get good ideas without conflict. Yeah, that's the fascinating part about this, right? Where does where does uh, conflict and debate and the freedom of different ideas and thinking come together in order to be able to create something that is amazing? Uh, most people don't think that that comes out of that, but it, it, it productive conflict it does in, in a tremendous way. Well, we're seeing that. I mean, we're seeing that outside of businesses. We're seeing where it's not safe to be in conflict with anything. Right. It's not. You know, you speak your opinion, and you could be canceled. 
So it's like our outside world is reinforcing that conflict is not something that you want to you wanna participate in. And yet we know that without conflict, you don't get the best idea. Right. You get the strongest person in the room's idea. Well, fun- you get the person who yells the loudest yeah, right. idea. You get the, it's right? the ego wins. The, right. But fundamentally, our country was built on this concept, um, the freedom to be able to have a different opinion, a different idea, be heard, and let the best idea win the day. And, I mean, that's why we've led for so long. But when that becomes a threatening prospect, uh, then everything collapses under it because it's no more about the best idea. Right. It's about who can manipulate you into being afraid of sharing your ideas. Right. Yeah. I mean, just look at even, I just watched Hamilton recently for the first time. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that because it's been out for a really long time. (laughs) Um, But even just the amount of conflict that went into the creation of our government, right? I mean, they debated and debated and debated and got heated and there was conflict. But the idea is that they all had they all had the main goal, the main goal, and that was to create the most sustainable constitution possible, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you if you if you look at how that shows up in your business, the idea is that you're you're willing to to be in conflict so that the best idea wins, so that the company moves forward. Right. Like that's just right. when you look at businesses that are the most successful, they practice radical candor. Yeah. Right? They practice being honest and speaking their mind. And not having to be the person that wins, but being having an open mind enough to think, step in someone else's shoes, listen to what they have to say without shutting them down, making you right or them wrong, and focusing on what the goal at hand is, which is coming up with the best idea. Right. Well, it forces your it forces the opponent to think very much through their their thought process, their idea, and come up with a well formulated argument. Yeah to be able to present. Um, otherwise, the, there's no depth to it. You know, you could say, hey, I just prefer this idea. But that doesn't mean that you've thought it through at all. And anything can look good on the surface. But it doesn't mean that it, it has any workability in it whatsoever. Right. But look, when I bring a new idea to our team, I always say, hey, I have this idea. I'm really excited about it. But I want you to poke holes in it. Right. Tell me why this won't work. Tell me what could go wrong so that I can see what I can't see because I'm coming from my point of view. Yeah. And that's when we find like our most innovative ideas is when someone's like, well, I really like this about this, but I'm concerned about this specific thing. Or what if this happens because we do this? And it, it, it's, if they were afraid to poke holes in my ideas, we would, we would be just stunted. Right. Like we wouldn't be growing, right. period. Because it would only have your idea to work with. It's not, you know, you can only think it out so far. Other people are going to bring different opinions to it. I remember a long time ago, I uh, was listening, and this is probably back in the 90s stuff, I was listening to a, a Tony Robbins tape, and he was talking about this very thing where they had they had somebody on their on their board that the way that they kind of looked at the world was kind of negative. And people were complaining, like, this person, they all they do is see the negative. And Tony was like, no, I want this person there because they see things that we don't see. It doesn't mean that we have to go with what they say, but it forces us to look at things in a, diff, in a different way. You know, if you, it's, it's, another thing that's interesting about that is we train people how to think about their business. And one of the ways is, to stay positive because people have so much negative in their life. They don't really know what it means to, 
to think positive. So they avoid, you know, they think conflict is a negative thing, but it's not a negative thing. So they have a tendency to stay only on what feels good, but that's not allowing them to actually think through the problem because they avoid it because it doesn't feel good. Right. And then, and then the other thing is if you don't have that, if you don't have the ability, if you have a team that's afraid of conflict, they won't voice their opinions. And if you don't have that conflict, you can't get their commitment. Say more about right? that. So, Say more about the commitment. So let me give you an example. Yes. Yeah. So I propose an idea, right? That I think is a good idea. Nobody voices their opinion about why I shouldn't or their concerns about anything. They're just like, whatever you think, that's great. And then that idea goes south. The team member can say, well, I knew it was going to go south. I had a feeling this was going to happen. They don't, they're not committed to the goal because they haven't bought in because they haven't expressed their opinion. Right? right. So conflict is required for commitment and buy-in. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes so sense. Like, they have skin in the game. They have skin in the game. <laughs> they voice their opinion and they've, they've voiced their concerns. They voice their approval. They voice their disapproval. It's all on the table. And the best idea is the one everyone commits to. And everyone has buy-in on what that best idea is. Right. So therefore, when you're going toward that goal, you're implementing that new strategy, everyone is under it saying, yeah, we believe in this idea, we're pushing it forward. And then when it doesn't work, everybody takes responsibility for it and right. sees what they could have done differently or how they should have thought differently to have avoided that mistake. And everybody wins. When you have just a bunch of yes people, they have no buy-in. They don't need to take personal responsibility. They're just there to say, that was that, was that person's fault. That was a bad decision. Yes. And what do you do? What do you encourage, insist upon, actually, when it comes to mistakes of team players? Oh, our team has is deeply instilled the belief of sunshining your mistakes. You want to explain what that is? Yeah. So sunshining your mistakes means that you're 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 turning the light on in, on on your mistake. You're not sweeping Look it under at me. the rug. You're yeah. not hiding yeah. it from anyone, right? Here's you're my fuck up. Saying, boy, I really did this one wrong, right? Or or I thought that I could hit this deadline, but I can't, but I couldn't, which is a mistake in and of itself, right? Yeah. You say you're going to do something and you don't do it. Okay, well, the idea is that you, you, you sunshine that. You bring light to it. You say, guys, I made this mistake. This is how I got to make that mistake. This is what, this is what happened to cause that mistake. And this is what I'm going to do moving forward to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. So there's no, I'm a bad person. There's no, I'm an idiot. There's no negative self-talk. It's, hey, I made this mistake. This is why. This is what I learned. This is what I'm going to do different moving forward. Yeah. Because mistakes are. They're a great thing. Yeah. Well, most people are raised with the idea that mistakes are not a good thing and we need to avoid them to the nth degree. But actually, that is not true. The only way that we can learn is by making mistakes uh, and mistakes have absolutely nothing to do with the core character of yourself. Rest- mistakes are required yes. to grow. Yes. You look at anyone that's created any change in the world, that's built anything of value, and they will tell you they have made more mistakes yeah. than they've had successes. Yeah. And they usually tell you they've learned more from their mistakes than they have their successes. Oh, my goodness. 
right? And it's usually in some of their worst mistakes, yes. like the most painful mistakes, that they learn the most valuable lesson that then creates the quantum leap to get them to that next yeah. stage. But if you've got a team of people who are conflict averse and they're hiding their mistakes, nobody learns. Yep, exactly. They, they're hiding their mistakes because they don't feel comfortable. You know, they don't feel like their job is secure. They don't feel comfortable, you know, feeling stupid or they feel embarrassed in front of other people. That's putting themselves in front of and ahead of the company. Yeah. Right. And you know, my motto is what's in the best interest of the company. Right. So anything that kind of goes against that is not in the best interest of the company. It needs to be addressed. I know that some of the biggest mistakes that I have made, not only... Not only was did I learn a lot from that mistake, but in the correction of it and in the learning of it, I learned things that I would have never learned had I not made the mistake. I learned different things, different skills, different ideas, different ways of thinking, uh, different behaviors that I would have never even been exposed to right. had I not made the mistake. Right. And then the key is that when you make the mistake, you don't give it an inappropriate meaning. Right. You don't make it mean that you're a bad person or that you're not good enough or that you're stupid or that you should completely change directions altogether. Right. It's um, not a sign. It's not a sign. <laughs> it's not a sign oh from the gods. Can or we the, like put that in big, bold letters, like shining letters? It is not a sign right. when you make a mistake. Right. right? It's, it's not the gods, the universe, no. spirit, your guides, uh, elves from Norway. <laughs> no. It's not anything other than an error that needs to be looked into, understood, and corrected. It's an opportunity. That is for sure. A mistake is an opportunity. An opportunity to learn something new. That's a great reframe, by the way. A different result, right? Um, And it's an opportunity to learn about yourself. It is. Right? You don't (laughs) hit a deadline. What did you learn about yourself? I learned that I need to calendar things differently. I learned that I need to set proper boundaries with people so they don't constantly come into my office and talk to me when I'm trying to hit a deadline. Like the whole idea is it's an opportunity for you to be better next time. That's it. You want to talk about why people don't look at it as an opportunity and they go into beating themselves up, self-loathing, identity crisis, wanting to hide from it. Like just the wanting to hide alone says a lot about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to a lot of what you teach and that is it's, 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 it was very painful to make a mistake. You look at, you look at school. I mean, you make a mistake. There are crazy repercussions, right? There are social repercussions. Mm -hmm. You say the wrong thing or you act the wrong way and you're what you're shamed, you're outcast, you're abandoned, which are like incredibly painful things for at any age. Right. 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 You look at, you know, your parents and a mistake might mean withholding of love, which then threatens their sense of security. And if your parents were abusive, it might be getting a beating. It it might actually be a security issue or a safety issue. Right. So there are lots of reasons why um, adults have carried that into their life. It's just not, it's not safe for them to sunshine their mistakes because they have a history of mistakes being incredibly painful. Yeah. And they have that memory of that. Very true. Right? But, you know, how I look at this, is we, and we have, we do have a conflict-diverse team. Like, 
in our in some of our first retreats, it came out really clear. Yeah, they didn't that like conflict. A lot of people and myself. I mean, I grew up in a really volatile household. Yep, we both um, did. I was not a fan of conflict. I lived my life most of the time under the radar to avoid conflict. Um, I was the peacemaker, right? The savior of my family. So conflict did not come easy for me. Um, and neither, neither did mistakes for that matter. Right. Um, so, but I knew that I needed to show up in a different way to give my team permission to show up in a different way. So me as a leader and all of you who are listening on the podcast, business owners, you've got to be the model of what you want to see in your team. So if they see you be conflict averse, they're going to know it's not safe to be in conflict and not safe to debate. If they see you hide your mistakes, they're going to know that it's not safe for them to talk about their mistakes. So the idea is you're self-aware enough to know, okay, I know that I'm conflict averse. I know my own history. I know my patterns and yep. my paradigms. I'm going to make a conscious choice to do something different anyway, even though it's really uncomfortable. So when we first started kind of this whole team development, culture development several years ago, my sole goal was to focus on myself and who I was being as a leader. And I started, you know, bringing my mistakes to the team, showing them this was my mistake, taking responsibility for things, telling them what I learned about, about those mistakes and talking to them about what I was doing. I'm sunshining mistakes so that, you know, it's okay for you to, to sunshine your mistakes as well. The idea is that we all learn. No one's going to get fired over a mistake. Right? That's important. No one's going to get fired over a mistake. People get fired for lots of reasons. In this company, it's not because you've made a mistake. Right. Right? So the idea was I was focusing on who I was being. So I was sunshining my mistakes. I was, you know, pushing back on ideas. And I first did this with you. Yeah. And I remember a meeting that we were in and you came up with an idea. And I was just like, I don't know if that's a great idea. And I just started poking holes and you could feel the discomfort in, in the room. room. Yeah, yeah. They were like, what is happening right now? There, there was this, this discomfort. So then taking, taking the time to debrief about that, like this is what was actually happening. We were trying to get to the best idea. It felt uncomfortable for you because, because of your past. Right. So um, you, can, you can create a culture of not being afraid of conflict. You can create a culture of um, accountability by who you're being as a leader and then watching as people follow that lead as they build trust with you and learn that it's okay for them to experience and express these things. Um, and then the other place this shows up is in accountability. I mean, you know, I have coaching conversations every single day with business owners who are terrified to hold their team accountable. They'll come and they'll complain about an underperforming team, and yet they won't have clear measures of success set up, right? What do you make of that? So they're, they're, they don't set up the measures of success because if they set up the measures of success, then they would have to hold someone accountable, right? And they see accountability as me versus them, where I see accountability as us on the same team. Right? right? Like my, my idea of accountability is how can I help you hit your goals? And if you're not hitting your goals, what needs to change in order for you to hit your goals? Not the traditional idea of accountability of why the hell didn't this get done in time? What's wrong with you? Well, we've actually heard people say that they think they feel like they're doing something bad. We, ha we have. Right. They feel like they're like, 
you know, business owners feel like they're doing something to someone, yes. but actually accountability is helping. It's not harming. Right. You know, in, in, in an imagery perspective, most people think of accountability as two people sitting across the table from each other, you versus them, right? Where actual really functional, healthy accountability is you sitting down next to them and saying, how can we both move you forward? Sure. And if you're not moving forward, why is that? Is it that you need additional training? Is it that you've got something going on in your personal life? Or is it that you're just not the right fit for this position? So what holds them accountable is their measures of success. It's their KPIs, whatever you, whatever you call it. Their standards that they need to meet, that they've agreed to meet. That's what really is kind of the authoritarian. Yeah. And you're just there as their team leader to help them hit that or to help them determine that this is not the right role for them. Right. Because we're just looking for a result. Right. What does the result say? The result's going to tell us, give us a tremendous amount of information about, a, about several different things, actually. Yes. And the idea is that there are no assumptions, right? There are no, there should, there shouldn't be any assumptions about what someone's roles, expectations, or responsibilities are. Everyone in an organization should know exactly what they're expected, exactly what they've committed to, and exactly where the company is going. If there's a fall off <laughs> in any one of those areas, it's really hard to hold someone yeah. accountable because what are you holding them accountable yeah. to? Do you find that you see a, a, a lot of business owners fail to give clear directive as, as far as what their expectations yeah. actually are? I was actually surprised to see that. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Um, but I remember working for other people where it wasn't clear. It really wasn't clear. And there was an ambiguity around it that didn't feel safe right. either. It was like part of them didn't want to be clear because I don't know if they were trying to hide something themselves or they didn't feel comfortable, but it really put the onus on the employee to almost be a mind reader as far as what needed, what needed to be done. And that's never a good thing. Well, I mean, I, I honestly believe that most people want to hit expectations. I would think right? so. They want to feel good about yeah, the job yeah. they've done. They don't get that good feeling if they don't know what the expectations are and they feel like it's a constant moving target. But then what's going on in the, in the team leader or business owner's mind is that they're assuming that their team knows what they want, knows what needs to be done. And you know what happens with assumptions. Right. It never ends up. It never ends up positive, right? Right? Isn't it like it makes an ass out of you and me? Or <laughs> exactly. Like that? Yeah, that's the adage, yeah. right? So the idea is that there's real communication around what the standards of expectation are, and that, and the accountability piece isn't, you know, making someone wrong for not hitting those um, agreements, but sitting down next to them and saying, "Hey, this didn't go so well. What needs to change so that you can hit this?" Yeah. And Here's the thing. If you have that conversation probably more than twice, it's a key indicator that that person needs to be let go. Yeah. Because they're just not going to gonna meet the expectations of the role. Right. What, there's something definitely showing that that is wrong about either their ability to follow through or their technical skill set to be able to follow through. So when you look at this stuff... Do you look at it like from a top-down perspective? Here is here's the owner, the leader, or whatever, and they're bringing a person on. There's clear expectations, not just expectations about the role, but how to show up within the role as far as you know, um, uh, 
conflict and making mistakes and like what the protocol is, right? That it's okay to do this and here's what we're looking for and we want honesty and openness and transparency around these ideas in order to get the correct feedback so that we can make intelligent decisions moving forward. Is that kind of nutshell it? top down. Yeah. yeah, if I preached to them that it was okay to make a mistake and then every time I made a mistake, I beat myself up for it in front of them, <laughs> they would very quickly learn that it wasn't okay to make mistakes. Right. Right. If I, if I preach, you know, accountability, we're on the same team and then I get emotionally triggered negatively and end up blowing up on them, they're never going to feel safe to bring anything forward again. No. And we see that a lot. That I, although I, I will say that I think that that culture is starting to change. Um, you know, we come from a background where that was a very big culture, probably for our parents. It was a, it was a, it was a culture when we first started to move into the, in the workforce. But things are changing in a very dramatic way. People understand culture different. They understand human psychology different. They understand performance different and how to get the results that we're going for. When you took over this role as CEO, you made it very clear that we were a team. We were we, we, we wanted to operate as a highly professional and highly performance uh, team of individuals, which was very different than a lot of people look at coming into a group of individuals that is their business or their work. And you've, you even said that one of the big mistakes that they make is they looking at their work culture like a family. Even though it seems like that would be the thing to do, it's not the thing to do. Can you, can you say why that is? Well, you tolerate a hell of a lot more from your family than you would from anyone else, right? I mean, like, let's be honest. We tolerate a whole lot from our family. How's it going there? Right? Like... It's, it's not even close to the same thing. It's, and I've said this before, you know, really your role as a CEO is to make sure you've got the absolute best team member in each of those roles so that the whole team succeeds. Yeah. And I think that that ties into the other piece of accountability. When you look at really, really effective teams, and we'll use, we'll use sports as an example because okay. you've talked about Michael Jordan and, and Tiger Woods on the podcast before, right? Yeah. And you look at... When you look at the very best teams, they don't, the coach isn't the only one holding the team accountable. Correct. Every single team member is holding each other accountable. So, you know, Michael Jordan is, did I say Michael Jackson before? No, you said Jordan. Okay. okay. You said Jordan. Michael Jordan is staying longer to help, to help someone do better. It's not the coach staying longer all the time, right? It's right. Every team member is, is holding each other each team member accountable. And those team members can go to the other team members and ask for help. So when, you, when you've when you got a fear of conflict, you have people that won't hold each other accountable. You'll have a department where there's one person that sees a bunch of stuff going wrong and they'll see this person causing the problem and they won't feel comfortable actually addressing that with the person directly. Like, hey, I see you struggling with this. How can I, how can I support you in this? How can I help? Yeah. Right? Instead, nobody knows about it because nobody says anything until it's too late. When you look at what, like, again, you know, the Bulls in the, the grand era with Michael Jordan, he would be up in team members' faces. Oh, 100%. And they still respected him. They respected him because of that. Yes. Because of that. He made it very clear what the expectations were 
when you became part of that team, much more than Phil Jackson did with those players. He was the one that pushed and pushed and pushed those guys to bring out the best, and he let them know the second they were not giving it their all. Right. So the idea is that when you're when you're organization is really humming. It's everybody's holding everybody else accountable in a really positive way and looking for solutions. Right. Right. That's the whole idea is you're all, you're constantly looking for solutions. A business is really nothing more than, uh, than an organization that solves problems in, in exchange for money. Right. Right. For sure. Right. So you're solving problems in marketing. You're solving problems in sales. You're solving problems for your clients. You're solving problems in deliverables. You're solving problems with technology. Like you're inundated with problems. That's all it is. And if you've got people that are afraid of conflict, they'll just bring all their problems to you (laughs) and expect you to solve them because they don't want to be wrong and they don't want to have made, they don't want to make mistakes. Yes. So conflict is such an important role in, um, in an organization and it, and it, maybe you change the word. Maybe you don't call it conflict. I don't know about that. I don't know that I agree with that. Because I think, I don't think we need to sugarcoat it to make it something that it's not. It is conflict. It is disagreement. It is debate. It is different opinions and different personalities. So if we know that, we can actually redevelop a healthy attitude toward it versus trying to change it to match our internal uh, emotional issue that we have with it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So... It's a good Parting thing. words, embrace conflict. Beautiful. Nurture conflict in your organization. Love that. Love that. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff. <laughs>